from Podcast One. This is a Target USA special report. The anatomy of a Russian attack on the U.S. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. This is part four of our series, Anatomy of a Russian Attack on the U.S. I'm J.J. Green. The U.S. intelligence community has concluded Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered operatives to interfere in the U.S. 2016 presidential election. A Target USA investigation that began in November of 2016 examined how the attack happened, when it started, who was involved, and what lay ahead. We conducted dozens of interviews in the U.S. and abroad with current and former U.S. intelligence officials, members of Congress, cybersecurity, and intelligence experts, foreign government officials, Russian nationals, and American victims. Let's review what we've learned so far. On January 10th, 2017, Director of National Intelligence Jim Clapper revealed Russia had attacked the U.S. We have high confidence that President Putin ordered an influence campaign in 2016 aimed at the U.S. presidential election. President Barack Obama knew something was afoot in September 2016, and he had some words with Vladimir Putin cut it out and there were going to be some serious consequences if he didn't. CIA director at the time, John Brennan, warned his counterpart, Alexander Bortnikov, to stop the meddling. Mr. Bortnikov denied that Russia was doing anything to influence our presidential election. But according to a high-confidence, unanimous assessment from the entire intelligence community, Russia was interfering. And it continued. Moscow's influence campaign blended covert intelligence operations with overt Efforts by Russian government agencies, state-funded media, third-party intermediaries, and paid social media users. The list of targets was extensive. People and organizations associated with the 2016 U.S. presidential election, including both major U.S. political parties. Republican Senator Marco Rubio was one of those targeted. In July of 2016, Uh, Shortly after I announced that I would seek re-election to the United States Senate, former members of my presidential campaign team uh, who had access to the internal information of my presidential campaign were targeted by IP addresses uh, with an unknown location within Russia. And on November 8th, after the election results were in, Vladimir Zirinovsky, a Russian politician, celebrated with champagne. And intelligence sources say other Russian... Government and intelligence officials in intercepted conversations congratulated each other for achieving something they had tried unsuccessfully to do during the entire Cold War. It's November 15, 2016, one week after the U.S. election. I'm at a NATO conference in Sofia, Bulgaria. 
the place has been buzzing about Russian interference in the U.S. election. One intelligence source has told me there are no less than 140 English-language fake news outlets in neighboring Macedonia, all for the purpose of manipulating voters' thinking in the U.S. Back in Washington, March 30th, 2017, former FBI Special Agent Clint Watts had noticed similar activity, and he told the Senate Intelligence Committee he believed those websites were linked to bots. A closer look at those bots tied in closely with other social media campaigns we had observed pushing Russian propaganda months before. U.S. intelligence believed it was all a part of a sophisticated Russian intelligence operation. They have an extremely capable intelligence service with exceptional cyber capabilities that they have de repeatedly demonstrated, not only against the United States, but against places like Estonia and Georgia. Robert Litt was general counsel in the office of the director of national intelligence until earlier this year. Former House Intelligence Committee chairman Mike Rogers said this was a part of an overarching doctrine in Russia. And so they took all of their cyber actors and are combining them in this one information warfare center. In an exclusive interview, Virginia Senator Mark Warner, vice chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, explained how Russia went about its work. Specifically what Russia did, they started a campaign where they hacked into private individual accounts, both parties' accounts, Democrats and Republicans. And Warner said the Russians made a decision. To only release information harmful to the Democratic candidate Clinton somewhere mid-spring to summer. The second part of their campaign, which was even more sophisticated, was using modern technology, using the internet, so-called internet trolls. Mike Rogers explained to us how the process worked. In the cases that have been publicly reported, they talk about 12-hour shifts. And in those shifts, they're given a certain number of posts that they have to do. So they would go out and actively look at sites that they believed, they being the Russians, would believe would have some impact on people's opinion of either a person or an idea or a policy. And according to Warner, Here's where it got really sophisticated. Though they would use those fake accounts to, in effect, flood the zone with false news, fake information. And not only that, they were able to specifically target certain areas. There's been data scientists that have shown that in certain areas, for example, in Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania, the last 10 days of the campaign, you wouldn't hear stories about Clinton versus Trump if you were getting the news from Twitter feed or from a Facebook news feed. Because of the automated botnet, the top stories that would come up on your news feed would be stories about Hillary Clinton being sick or Hillary Clinton stealing money from the State Department. And it really was a remarkable campaign. Russia's operation was very clever because it raised very little suspicion here on the streets in Washington. But Robert Litt says the whole thing had no peer. There's never been anything with this scale and this degree of brazenness. That review confirms that the audacity, skill, and latitude of the operation challenges conventional comprehension. So we turn to Dr. Christopher Pohl, senior social scientist and professor at the Pardee Rand Graduate School to explain how the Russian operation called Active Measures works. Well, I personally don't know the full scope of it, but Active Measures is something that, that dates back into the Cold War Soviet era slate of Russian activities and includes everything from subversion to propaganda to uh, in investment of money in, in 
different kinds of dissident groups uh, to provision of weapons to, to enemies abroad. Uh, I'm most familiar with Russian propaganda, and Russian propaganda is staggering in its scope. Uh, interestingly, most Russian propaganda is aimed at the Russian domestic audience, but there's such a considerable volume that it, it then echoes out from there to their near abroad, where their propaganda focuses primarily on Russian speakers in uh, Eastern Europe and, and the Caucasus and the, the Baltics and Balkans, uh, to the rest of Europe, where they're spending money to fund alternative, uh, alternative political organizations from both the right and the left, uh, and, and using the internet and other modes and media to spread propaganda to a wide range of audiences. You, you use the word staggering. How, so compare that to something that we know. Uh, you say it's staggering. Um, how staggering? Okay, well, consider state-sponsored broadcasting in a country like the United States. Uh, we have the Broadcasting Board of Governors, which operates traditional public diplomacy news outreach programs like Voice of America and Radio Free Europe and, and a few other channels. At, at, and I don't know what the budget numbers are, but they're a matter of public record, and they're fairly modest. Then consider what Russia spends, and, and I don't know the full scope of it, but I can give you some idea. So they have several state-sponsored official channels, including RT and Sputnik, and RT's published some budget numbers, and I, I don't have the specific numbers, but it's quite a bit more than gets spent by Broadcasting Board of Governors. And RT is available in, I think, over a dozen languages and on the internet and is broadcast uh, in hotels all over the world. And I think part of the reason it's available in so many hotels all over the world is because it's made available to them uh, at a very reduced rate, if not completely free. And that's just two examples of, of official Russian state-sponsored media. Then there's all kinds of Russian proxy media where it's, it, it's a channel, and, I, and when I say channel, I, I mean to channel broadly, not just a radio station or a TV station, but uh, a, a social media channel or a, a blog or a, a managed persona that a, a Russian operative uses to comment on social media sites. So they have all kinds of, of proxy channels, uh, web pages or news sites or sources that don't unambiguously or clearly have Russian attribution. There's not a, there's not a .ru at the end of the URL or there's not anything on the, the front of the, the web page that says this is a Russian-sponsored news site. But there are folks who pulled the string and kind of traced back the origins and have found dozens of these, these proxy sites. Uh, and there, there are many more that we know about. Uh, and then there's the, the troll factories, the fact that in at least one and possibly multiple locations in Russia, they have shift workers in an office building running three eight-hour shifts where people come in and manage social media personas and amplify existing Russian propaganda, shout down, or the equivalent, the internet equivalent of shouting down uh, countervailing views and promote a variety of different themes or just just question the credibility of otherwise credible news sources. Dr. Paul did an excellent job of summarizing what active measures are and taking a look at the online 
and or machine-related activities that are a part of this operation. But there's another element to it that I want to bring out to you now. It's the human element. There are humans out there that are actually amplifying that agenda, and they're doing it in forums all across the world. Incidentally, back in February of this year, 2017, I had the opportunity in Morocco to witness one of those situations take place. It was a confrontation between a Russian scholar and a U.S. scholar. That confrontation was initiated at a plenary session from the podium by the Russian scholar. And after that confrontation that took place at the Marrakesh Security Forum, I asked that Russian scholar to explain his actions. His name, Sergei Kostelyanets, and he's with the Russian Academy of Sciences. Well, my general comments were about uh, foreign military presence in Africa, including American military presence. And from my point of view, the proliferation of bases, the expansion of uh, uh, military presence on the continent is detrimental to the war on terror. And uh, while some uh, cooperation with African countries is necessary and provision of uh, military assistance and so on, the actual permanent basis and uh, this independent uh, operations of foreign militaries in, Af in Africa is uh, bad. Uh, it's uh, actually we, can, we have seen more terrorism in Africa and more terrorist groups. They have control of more territory. And if we take 2001 as the starting point of the war on terror, well, we have more terrorists. So the war obviously has been a fiasco. Mm -hmm. So in your very harsh comments, you said the U.S. strategy wasn't working and, you know, specifically you mentioned AFRICOM. Why? Well, AFRICOM, I mean, it has a history of... For example, it wasn't able to establish a headquarters in Africa. So there was this um, opposition on the part of African leaders to this involvement. But now we see that it's expanding its presence. Now some countries have offered to host uh, headquarters of AFRICOM in Africa. I believe it was Libya. Uh, so the idea is that um, it, it's follow, it's, AFRICOM follows its own agenda. It's uh, the fact that it has extraterritorial and uh, independent kind of operations. I mean, the attacks are done by Americans and without sometimes consulting with the local governments like it just happened in Yemen. The fact is, it's only destroying that part of terrorism which is uh, maybe, uh, which is the focus of like, some goal of the moment. Mm. While the long term, uh, stability requires not just the elimination of terrorism, but also creating so social and economic uh, circumstances for that. And uh, Amer American presence, presence I mean, triggered, triggers more terrorism, triggers more use. They don't want to, these occasional drones to just kill their family and so on. They see this as intrusion, which generates more terrorism. That is Sergei Kostelyanets. He's with the Russian Academy of Sciences. And he is proof that there are real people out there involved in Russia's operation on the U.S. It's not just bots. It's not just fake news sites. It's not just people working in troll houses assuming personae that don't exist, but real people. And when we come back to wrap up this podcast series, we'll take a look at two critical elements. How all of this is impacting the U.S. intelligence community. 
it tells me that our job is going to be harder. We'll speak with Robert Cardillo, director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. And we'll speak with Rod Rosenstein, deputy attorney general at the U.S. Justice Department about the investigation. If anybody interferes with our elections, no matter who it may be, I think it's appropriate for us to take action. And when there are criminal prosecutions that are justified, we need to pursue those criminal investigations. That's coming up on Target USA. The National Security Podcast. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. A part of what we've been doing in our series is taking a look at how Russia's meddling has impacted the U.S. internally and externally. And that includes the U.S.'s friends. And some of those friends who are Russia's neighbors have been impacted as well. In fact, many of those neighbors were impacted by Russia's meddling long before the U.S. had any problems of this sort. So to get some insight into their view, we're talking with Maciej Popalski. He's the Deputy Director General of the European Commission for European Neighborhood Policy and Enlargement Negotiations. Russia has been been very vocal in the last months. Uh, and what are your views on Russia and the challenges that Russia presents? Because there's still the concern about meddling in the election, and there are all sorts of evidence that Russia tried to do that as well in, in Europe. What are your views, thoughts, and issues, concerns about what Russia is doing and how to deal with that? Look, first of all, we share the concerns. Uh, very often Russia's behavior is, uh, is disturbing. Uh, Russia is now about to launch uh, a huge exercise uh, at the eastern border of Poland and the Baltic countries called Zapad, uh, which is a, uh, quite a worrying one. Um, and um, uh, well, you mentioned Ukraine. Uh, we maintain our policy. Uh, we don't recognize the uh, occupation of Crimea. The sanctions remain in place. We want to engage with Russia, but we expect them to, uh, to respect certain rules, uh, not to intimidate our members, not to meddle in, the, in, in our national politics, uh, um, to contain the aggressive propaganda we are exposed to. Uh, so, uh, well, Russia will not disappear. It will remain our neighbor, uh, and we would like to have friendly relations, but, of course, uh, it comes with certain conditions. And, of course, the U.S. has said to Russia on numerous occasions it wants friendly relations. But Russia's made it clear on numerous occasions as well that it doesn't want friendly relations with the U.S. So, U.S. intelligence agencies have to maintain a very close eye on everything that Russia does. So we're going to talk with one of the leaders in the intelligence community about that. Robert Cardillo is director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. It is the nation's primary source of geospatial intelligence, which is called GEOINT. And GEOINT is the exploitation and analysis of imagery and geospatial information that describes, assesses, and visually depicts physical features and geographically referenced activities on the planet. So what does that boil down to? NGA delivers the strategic intelligence that allows the president and national policymakers to make crucial decisions on counterterrorism, weapons of mass destruction, global political crises, and anything that Russia is doing. We spoke with Mr. Cardillo on September 14th, 2017. 
Director Cardillo, there are lots of heavy issues out there in the world right now. And, and the one that everybody is really interested and concerned about right now is meddling inside the U.S. from hostile nation states. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about your organization's role in trying to work that for the intelligence and security communities? Our profession rests must rest on a foundation of trust. Uh, you just asked about um, perturbations to that trust, in this case meddling or insertion of um, less than completely factual information or manipulated information or confusing information. Um, so it's something I worry about a lot because any of those undermine that trust. And as a professional intelligence officer, when I come to you to give you, you know, my best assessment of what not just what's happening today, what's going to happen tomorrow, if you're wondering about the basis of my information, you are not going to be confident about what I'm telling you. So uh, I worry about this greatly. The issue with Russia. Mm -hmm. Russia has on a number of occasions claimed things We've spoken about Syria in the past that have taken place in Syria that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Or, for instance, or tried... Crimea or Ukraine, yeah. indeed. Or tried to claim something that the U.S. had done indeed. and tried to claim, claim responsibility or credit for it. Right. What does that tell you? It tells me that our job is going to be harder because I grew up in a day as a young analyst when we had near absolute control over that information flow. If I brought you something, you knew where I got it, you knew how I got it, you knew how I acquired it and all that, and we just moved on to what does it all mean. Now, I have to have, I have to work harder to establish pedigree and to hold, uh, I'll use a legal term, the chain of custody of my intelligence so that when I present it to you, we can get to that more difficult conversation about what it means. But if we're, if we're stuck on the, I don't, I'm not sure where you got that from, or I'm not sure that anyone hasn't changed those pixels or those ones and zeros on the way, we're not even gonna get to that more important conversation. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's most important right now, yesterday on the 13th of September 2017, DHS said, okay, look, folks, we have to stop using this company, Kaspersky, because of its purported connections to the Russian government and because of concerns about the integrity of information that's either passing through U.S. systems or the integrity of U.S. systems that their products may be on. Do you have any concerns of your own about your systems and the integrity of what's coming out of NGA? Every hour of every day. What I mean by that, well, first of all, let me say, if I don't have a concern, uh, I think it's time to find a new director. Because, as I said, my lifeblood is your confidence in what I'm giving you. And if I can't assure you that I've protected my architecture, my system, my, my networks, again, you're going to be less confident. I'm going to be less valuable to you. So we work very hard uh, 
not only with our system, but because uh, you know one of the hallmarks of my tenure as director has been to be more engaging with what we call non-traditional partners, smaller companies, um, foreign partners, uh, non-traditional sources of uh, a- academic institutions such as Georgetown University. I still believe strongly that all of those opportunities are worth pursuing, but eyes wide open, because every time I make a new connection, guess what? I have a potential to be connecting to a new risk as well. That was Robert Cardillo, director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. You will be hearing from him again in the next few weeks. But to put a couple of things into perspective about what he was saying just now, he mentioned Georgetown University. That was the site of the 2017 Calaris Conference. Georgetown and the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency have a conference on an annual basis to discuss a range of national security issues. This one, this time, focused on the changing nature of intelligence and emerging challenges and opportunities. Perhaps the most important clarification, intelligence and the validity and the veracity of it, and what he was referring to is in this day and time and with partnerships and information passing through many hands and many systems and manipulation of information as the Russians have done, it's important now to know where everything that you're presenting to your policymakers is coming from. And he also mentioned it's going to be harder to do that. And the reason for it is because of the deception that the Russian intelligence agencies have inserted worldwide because of their fake news campaigns, their bots, and their whole active measures campaigns, not just in the U.S., but all over the world. So what is the U.S. doing about the situation here in the U.S.? As you just heard Cardillo say, the intelligence community is going to make the adjustments that it needs to make to ensure that it's able to do its work effectively. There are several investigations going on, two, at least two, in Congress. And there is another one, a special counsel, that's investigating whether or not the Russians were involved with the Trump campaign. The man who oversees that investigation joined us for an interview. Now, mind you, he did not talk about that investigation. That was a stipulation of the interview. But he did talk broadly about Russian meddling and the obligation of the Justice Department to deal with it. We spoke with Rod Rosenstein, Deputy Attorney General at the Department of Justice. There's a huge problem with Russia in this country. And, you know, many of the folks that I've spoken to over the last 10 months, uh, you know, have told me that this is a problem that's been insidious in in its nature. And it's something that has been growing and growing and growing. Um, I'd like to hear from you on your view of, of Russia's behavior towards the U.S. over the years and the aggressive nature of Russia's activities. Well, your, your opinion about that, obviously, is a function of whatever experts you've talked with, and I don't know who they are uh, or what they know, so I'm not in a position to comment on that. You know, from my perspective in the Department of Justice, we have a responsibility to protect the integrity of our elections uh, and to pursue appropriate criminal cases. And so uh, if anybody interferes with our elections, no matter who it may be, I think it's appropriate for us to take action, and when there are criminal prosecutions that are justified, we need to pursue those criminal investigations. But uh, you know, with regard to the broader issue, obviously, Uh, The United States has a lot of intelligence agencies that are continually engaged in identifying and detecting foreign threats. Uh, And cyber threats aren't just about elections. You know, cyber threats are about about commercial activities. 
they're about national security matters, they're about electric grids and computer networks, there are a lot of uh, cyber activities that need to be protected, and that responsibility falls primarily to our intelligence agencies. Is there any uh, information, or shall we say, is there any publicly available evidence to you, to your, from, from your perspective at this point, that that Russia's been engaging in, in those those activities, the cyber tampering with things like the electric grid. Obviously, the election, we know there was, a, there was a decision by the intelligence community to say, yes, they did from the highest levels, metal. But is, it, uh, is the problem with Russia, I guess, from an investigative point of view, broader than just an election? I think uh, what you need to recognize is that uh, there have been a number of public reports uh, about alleged uh, Russian activities related to the election, including a report of the intelligence community. And what you have, if you've asked about public information, you have an unclassified version of a report that reflects the uh, assessments of our intelligence community. Uh, there have also been public reports recently about uh, uh, allegations of Russian uh, advertisements, for example, that were posted on various networks. Uh, and so there are a lot of uh, public sources of information out there. And uh, I think what people need to keep in mind is that there's a distinction between uh, people trying to sway American elections and, and succeeding in swaying American elections. Uh, I think one of our responsibilities is to make sure that people understand you know, what the risks are, but also that they make their own determinations. You know, American citizens are pretty savvy, and when they decide who to vote for, I don't think they're going to be influenced by ads posted by foreign governments. I think people are... Uh, are more thoughtful about that in the way that they make their decisions. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, if we have foreign countries that are seeking to interfere in our elections, I think we need to take appropriate actions in response. What kind of, what, what action would you take then? I mean, from, from a justice point of view, what, what is it that you can do that would, if Russia were to be found as you investigate them to have done these things, what could you do to them? Well, see, I think uh, that's the point I was trying to make, which is that uh, what we do in the Department of Justice in terms of law enforcement is different from what our intelligence community does. Uh, and so combating cyber threats is a role the Justice Department has something to do with, uh, but the primary responsibility for dealing with those threats falls in the intelligence community. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, you will be hearing from him as well in the next few weeks in an exclusive interview. As we wrap up this part of our series, Anatomy of a Russian Attack, there are still many questions to answer when it comes to Russia's interference in U.S. politics and elections and in the government in general. Among the most pressing questions is, what's next? And what will the next attack look like? And a really big question is considering the fact that Russian intelligence operatives play several moves ahead how far does the U.S. need to go to catch up? That question was partially answered by Russia's former top KGB operative, Sergei Trechikov. He defected to the U.S. in 2000 and brought with him a lot of information about Russia's view of the U.S. and its plans to attack the U.S. In an exclusive interview before his untimely death in 2010, he put into context what the U.S. can expect from Russia as long as Vladimir Putin is running the country. You know, uh, I love America. I love American people. I have more friends in America than I ever had in Russia. But I can tell you, uh, from my point of view, sometimes Americans, even American politicians, are a little bit naive. Americans want, uh, don't like problems. 
it's easier to close the eyes and say, Cold War is over, we are not supposed to worry anymore. Unfortunately, it's not the case. Russia has a very serious military program. Uh, they are producing uh, very sophisticated strategic and tactical weapons. And I can tell you that the threat from Russia, Russia is not over. More Russia has money, more aggressive will be its foreign policy. Tretyakov's remarks were prophetic in every sense of the word. He predicted everything from what happened in Georgia to what happened in Ukraine. And he warned the U.S. that something like what happened in 2016 in the election was coming years before it happened. That's it for this edition of Target USA. Thanks for following our series, Anatomy of a Russian Attack. Coming up in our next episode, Cuba and the mysterious attacks on U.S. diplomats. It seems to me that when the State Department decided to allow family members, children and spouses to leave the island, it suggested to me that it is their residences that are being targeted by this sonic beam. That's a former top State Department counterintelligence official, and you'll hear from him and some other people who have a really good idea exactly what's happening and who's behind it. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, it's Adam Carolla. Now, if you're hearing my voice, it means you like podcasting. And if you like podcasting, well, then you're going to love my show. Lots of funny segments, good bits, great guests, and of course, moi. That's Mexican for me. So check it out at Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you, you listen to find podcasts. The Adam Carolla Show. Throw it in your phone. It's free. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.